0: I would like to uh, begin this morning by giving you the weather forecast for tomorrow, all right? You can take this to the bank. The sun is going to shine somewhere in Alberta for at least part of the day, and if the clouds roll in in the afternoon, there's a 50% chance you might get some precipitation. What form? I'm not going to say that. It depends on the temperature at that time. Now, that type of forecast, with that type of forecast, um, I'm pre- I have a pretty good chance of being right, and uh, that's better than probably what most meteorologists uh, can say with their percentages. Um, <clears throat> I just got to thinking now, if, if Dr. Tui here was right only 50% of the time in his dental practice... He wouldn't be in practice, but I'm sure it's 100%. I wouldn't wouldn't doubt that. Anyway, as much as we like to think that we can predict the weather, we are often proven wrong. And it's just one of those things that God remains in sovereign control over. The changeableness of the weather often reflects the realities of our lives and how quickly storms can develop and blow in on us so unexpectedly. A storm in our life could be represented by a medical issue, car accident, a job loss, a death in the family, Any of these things can throw our lives out of balance for a time. Yet, it is the belief in the sovereignty of God that helps us to navigate through those stormy times. And it serves as a landmark for us or as a lighthouse when the wind blows the fiercest. Speaking of navigate... We've probably all heard the old saying, red sky at night, sailors delight, red sky in morning, sailors take warning. This saying is actually reflective of what Jesus said in Matthew 16. i still got nothing up there. So, okay, I'll have to read from my notes. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Here, Jesus condemns the religious leaders for being able to read the sky. But when it came to understanding God's purposes or the signs that he had sent, what was going on around them at that time, they were ignorant. Now to this point in Jesus' ministry, I think we can see that God had sent at least two signs to his people that something was afoot, something was changing, something was beginning to happen around them. And I believe the first of these signs would have been the prophet known as John the Baptizer or John the Baptist, as many of us know him And true to form of the prophets of old, John lived a somewhat eclectic lifestyle. He dressed differently. He ate differently. He hung out mainly in the wilderness. And he spoke very boldly. And to top it all off, he called people to repent and be baptized. The second sign God sent was another man. A man who claimed to have a special relationship to God by calling him Father. And he demonstrated it in some very unique ways through miracles that he had performed. But Jesus, different than John, hung around with people, particularly the sinful kind. He ate and drank with them. He went to their parties. He sat and talked with them about life and God. And he even healed some of their sick. And how did he do that? By touching them. And as the religious leaders of Jesus' day watched what was going on, their thinking was how can he touch this person? If he's truly a prophet of God, doesn't he know the sinful life they're leading? That was their thinking. And Jesus is saying to them, you can read the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of what is happening around you. Thus, no other sign will be given you except that of Jonah, the prophet. We understand that the sign of Jonah was primarily a reference to his three days and nights in the belly of the fish, which was paralleled by Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. But for our weather report this morning, I'd like us to look at the prophet Jonah and the lessons that he was forced to learn, particularly coming from chapter 1. Now, this little book of Jonah was probably written by him, for who else could describe the details of what went on unless you were the one going through it? So let's dive in to Jonah 1. Okay, this ain't working today for some reason. Keep going. Am I not pushing the right buttons or what? (laughs) Okay, anyway. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Uh, One of the first things I want to point out to you here is, and you probably have noticed this before, three times in these three verses, there is a reference to the Lord. Twice to the presence of the Lord, once to the word of the Lord. Notice also that there are three references to Tarshish in these three verses. It is a port city somewhere in the known world, although historians cannot say for sure where it's at. But regardless of that fact, I think it represents something in the spiritual realm. For, jo- for Jonah, I believe it mistakenly represented a place where God was not present or where his word could be heard. For Jonah went to Joppa, paid the fare, got on the ship to go to Tarshish to what? Flee from the presence of the Lord. Let's think for a minute. Let's put ourselves in Jonah's sandals for a moment. He was God's prophet to Israel. But here he is being directed to go to another nation, Assyria. And not just any nation, it was a neighboring nation that was a constant threat to the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom. To whom Jonah normally went to bring the word of the Lord. So he's being sent to an enemy nation and to the most prominent city of that nation, Nineveh. And as far as we know, no other prophet of God was ever asked to do anything like this. And it's no wonder Jonah tried to avoid the assignment. To go to an enemy nation? Now, the message that he had for them wasn't a very positive one, mind you. But still, this was not something that he was inclined to do. And it might even have put him in a situation where his fellow prophets or his countrymen would think him to be treasonous by going and following through with that. So I think it would be fairly easy for Jonah to convince himself That it was better to ignore this message. To try and get away from the presence of God. To sneak off in the opposite direction where God was telling him, go east. Jonah decided to go west, young man. Assyria was an enemy state and it was notorious for its cruelty to the nations that they had conquered. And a constant threat to Israel. So rather than obey God and go east, Jonah went off to Joppa. Thinking he could find a place where God would lose sight of him. But friends, lesson number one. And there are multiple lessons that come to us from the book of Jonah. But lesson number one that we see right here is this. You cannot hide from God or escape his presence. Okay, That's just a simple little lesson. You cannot hide from God or escape his presence. The psalmist puts this into his own words in Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If for some reason Jonah had forgotten these verses, he was about to be reminded of this truth. You cannot hide from God or escape his presence. Let's move along to verses 4 and 5 of Jonah chapter 1. The perfect storm. But the Lord sent out a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. What I want you to notice from this passage is that the storm itself didn't get Jonah's attention. The storm in and of itself did not get Jonah's attention because he was Down below deck, he was asleep in the midst of all that was going on around him. And I think this begs a question that we need to ask ourselves How often are we unaware of the dangers going on around us? Jonah slept. While the experienced seamen on deck were shaking in their sandals, so to speak. The wind and the waves were so fierce that it had them fearing for their lives. So much so that they were willing to cast off or cast overboard their valuable cargo. All the while... Jonah's asleep. Again, I ask the question, how often have we gone through with a plan unaware of the dangers that we might be heading into? Unlike Jonah, I wasn't trying to run from God or hide from doing his will. But there was a time in My life when I was oblivious to a storm that was brewing around me and heading, I was heading in a direction that caused no small disturbance in our marriage. That wasn't my intention, but that was the result. And fortunately, the Lord sent out a great wind to halt me in that direction. And here in In this passage, we see lesson number two that comes up. This still is not working for me. At least we got it on the screen. Lesson number two, God's presence, like his love, or sorry, God's love, like his presence and word, are inescapable. Whether we think in terms of his love For Jonah, or the Ninevites, or for us personally. And Paul reminds us of this in Romans chapter 8, where he says, Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Moving along. So the captain came to him. This is verses six to nine. And said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots and that we may know for sure whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, please tell us, For whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Here, Jonah is caught in the act, so to speak, trying to run from God. But as we've already determined, that's impossible. The word, the presence and the love of God are inescapable. And if the book of Jonah teaches us anything else, it describes in dramatic fashion the big O's. You know what I mean by the big O's? Well, hopefully you'll remember what the big O's, when I say, that they are the omnipresence, omniscience, and the omnipotence of God. The fact that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere present, he is sovereign over all creation, and nothing is beyond his control. Now, the fact of, that God may allow some very distasteful and even disastrous things to take place in this world and in our lives... And it may cause us to think that his presence or his power is limited in some way. Or that he is unconcerned. But we cannot believe that. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is everywhere present. And fundamentally, regardless of the difficulty or the disaster that any of us have experienced in our lives, or maybe it's going on for you right now, we have to hold on to the belief that they are not outside of God's permissive will for us. He is sovereign. He is in control. And he allows such things to take place. Our next section of verses, verses 10 to 16. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, Why have you done this? They're talking to Jonah, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. And they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord. Here's these sailors. We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. I don't know if that took place on the ship or after the fact, but that's what the word tells us. After fully confessing, His fault in this whole fiasco, Jonah offers the solution. Pick me up and throw me overboard. Put me to death. Make me walk the plank, so to speak. But these men were professional sailors, they weren't pirates. They weren't accustomed to throwing their passengers overboard. But every minute they stalled, the storm grew more intense. Jonah had to die. Or at least that's what they thought would be the outcome if they threw him into such a violent sea. And you know what? Jonah thought the same thing. He thought he was going to die. But God had other plans, as God often does. Even though we can't see the bigger picture as God sees it, He has other plans. And He allows distasteful things and disastrous things to take place, things that we very much dislike. But always remember, He has other plans. And in this case, it was the gift of salvation. Mm. Does that sound parallel to anything else that we know? The gift of salvation. And the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Lesson number three. That God's purposes are irrefutable. God's purposes are irrefutable. There was a calling of God upon Jonah's life that only he could fulfill. But something had to happen first a death to himself had to happen. God said, Go east, Jonah decides to go west. He was searching for his, his own uh, conclusion to things. And we know that the Lord Jesus used Jonah as, and his experience as an example to what would happen to the Lord. Here are some of the parallels that come out of Jonah. Maybe you've noticed these before. If, if so, I'm just reminding you. Jesus pointed out, he pointed to Jonah that him spending three days and nights in the belly of the fish was comparable to his own death, burial, and three days in the tomb. But also, Jonah willingly offered his life for the life, the lives of the mariners. His life was sacrificed for these godless sailors. Hmm. Jesus willingly gave his life in atonement for sinful humanity. Also notice that Jonah didn't simply jump overboard for the sea to become calm. He said, no, you have to pick me up and throw me into the sea so Jonah died at the hands of these godless men again paralleling Jesus who by Mark's gospel tells us delivered was delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and after he is killed he will rise the third day mark 9:31 And so it would seem that these sailors, given the experience that is recorded for us here in this first chapter of Jonah, these sailors recognized Jonah was going to have to die if they were going to survive. And friends, this is again comparable to us, to our own realization of the substitutionary atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ he had to die if we were going to find life eternal Jonah's story teaches us that God has a way of orchestrating things in our lives that will get our attention if need be and in it we also see a foreshadow of the truth expre- expressed by the Apostle Paul where he says in Romans 8, all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We've all probably heard and experienced the saying that obedience brings blessing. But it also brings a protection from the dangers that can quickly arise if we wander away from God's chosen plan for us. And I'm sure that any number of you here could testify to this truth of how God allowed a storm in your life to get your attention or maybe to redirect the course of your life. I don't know if I can say for sure that this was the case in our experience, but since I'm the new guy here, let me tell you a little more of our story. At the end of August in 2017, I retired from the pastoral ministry of Onaway Baptist Church after being in that role for 26 and a half years. I was tired probably on the edge of burnout, as, as we say, <clears throat> and I was headed towards my 60th birthday. To that point, I had spent a total of 33 years in two churches as a pastor, which is certainly an acceptable milestone by most career standards, So for the rest of 2017 and into 2018, I filled my time with work as a carpenter, a bus driver, and a farm hand. And I was perfectly content doing that for an indefinite period of time going forward. It was Friday, September the 14th, when the storm blew in. Glenda was away visiting her mom in Manitoba and I started my morning routine, but as I finished my shower and I reached for a towel, I got this strange pain right here in the center of my chest. It might help you to know that I have had very, very few physical issues to deal with in my life. My only overnight stay in a hospital as a patient was almost 40 years ago when I broke my collarbone. Anyway, by 12.45 that afternoon... Last September, I lay in recovery in CCU at the Royal Alec, having had a stent put in to my heart to correct a blockage. And at that point, Glenda still didn't know yet. (laughs) Talk about an attention-getter, a life-changer. But at that point, all I knew was that I now had Some different things to deal with. I had a driving restriction. For a month, I couldn't drive at all. As a commercial driver, I had to wait for three months. I had a weightlifting restriction. I was put on medication. And I was told that I would have to take it easy for a while. All of these things were foreign to me. Oh, yes, there's one more thing I needed to get a doctor. You know, a family physician type of doctor? Yeah. Well, just over two weeks into this new normal, as we say, I get a text from a pastor friend of mine telling me of a new ministry position in his church and wondering if I'd be interested. Of course, Pastor Dave did not know about the recent storm that had blown into our lives, so I made him aware of it. And graciously declined any further discussions or consideration of the matter. And I wished them well. As they continued to search for someone else to fill that position. Now as my recovery progressed, my health situation returned to a more normal place. Where I could get back to doing the usual jobs except for the commercial driving. I did. November came and went, and I went back to work. December came and went, and all the family activities and the holidays, all the gatherings and stuff, it was all good. And then January arrived. And I was, I was looking forward to having my driving restriction lifted and getting back to doing some bus driving. And at this point I felt that my life was really starting to get back to the old normal that I had known for the year or so. And then The second day of January, two days into the new year, into this new year, 2019, another text arrived. You know, the thing about texting is it's written down. You can go back and read it. So I quote, Hi, Rick. I hope you had a great break over Christmas and New Year's. I contacted you a few months ago about a position here at Ellerslie, and you said the timing wasn't right. For sure. As we start 2019, any chance the timing might be better? You get the picture. I don't need to say any more about that. Jonah's life teaches us many things. Not the least of which is you can't run from God. If he wants your attention, he can get it. And he will use whatever means necessary. And it took a near-death experience to put Jonah back on track, doing what God had originally asked him to do. And in Jonah's case, he had the opportunity to obey the first time. He just chose not to. For you. For me. It may not be necessary. It may not necessarily be an issue of obedience. Although it could be. Even so the Lord may allow a storm to blow in. As a way to get your attention. Or. It might just be a way for him to demonstrate his grace to us in a new way. Friends, he loves us more than we understand. He wants the best for us. Even though when we are in the midst of the storm, we might think, this is not good. How can this be the best? Yet allowing a storm might just be his way to make sure that we're listening for his voice and leaning on him. And I don't know what you may be experiencing right now in your life. But I want to assure you, God is in control of your situation. And he has his best in mind for you. Even though it may not seem good, remember... He can and does work all things to the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this privilege that we have had today to share these moments together in this context, in this setting, gathered together here in this sanctuary that has been been dedicated to your glory and honor. And Lord, we have started our time together today in praise and adoration through our song lifted to you. We have taken this time now, most recently, to look into your word, to think about it, to challenge ourselves with it and with the example that Jonah is for us. And Father, I pray that these lessons that come up out of this passage for us today will be lessons that we already know, but we are just being reaffirmed of them today. That we cannot escape your presence or your word. That your love, like your presence and your word, are also inescapable. And that your plan is irrefutable. Holy Spirit, may you take the truth that has been brought to us this day, and as we ponder it, may you take it and minister to our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.